My goodness, Clay, my word. You've showed up bare-breasted to this podcast. <laughs> hey, man, I'm just trying to waft in any direction I can. <laughs> Don't show us your twat. Uh, we are here to talk about the Catbird Sea. This is the Something Pretty podcast. We're talking about HBO's Deadwood, and we've made it to the penultimate episode. Clay, it's always a happy time of year when I get to say penultimate to one of these <laughs> things that we do because it means we only have one more left <laughs> usually unless we're doing star trek and then there's 600 left after that but we're here with the catbird seat which does that mean anything to you that title i haven't thought about this why it's called the catbird seat does that mean does that phrase mean anything to you uh is it a i thing? have a vague <clears throat> it is a thing i have a vague understanding of what it means it's uh i i think it's it's an Maybe idiomatic it's, uh, phrase used to describe an enviable position, often in terms yeah. of having the upper hand. Okay. Like in a Sylvester and Tweety cartoon. Who has the upper hand there? Tweety? Well, Sylvester thinks he does, mm-hmm. but it's really Tweety. It derives from the secluded <clears throat> perch on which the gray catbird makes mocking calls. Interesting. Okay. Oh, so see, that's the part I didn't know. I thought it was, I didn't know there was a bird called a catbird. Yeah. Yeah, are the, it makes, makes more sense there. I think we have catbirds up here, or, or mockingbirds. Maybe mockingbirds are a type of catbird. I only think that maybe because mockingbirds up here attack cats. So maybe that's why they're called catbirds somewhere else. But the catbird seat. So we're up here sitting with our enviable position, looking down, mocking other people gently. All right. Well, this is the second to last episode of the series before we close things out and then we get to the movie eventually. But. We're going to take a break. We're going to play the music. We're going to come back and we're going to break down the catbird seat. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This is The Catbird Seat. It's episode 11 of season 3 of HBO's Deadwood, directed by Greg Feinberg, written by Bernadette McNamara. In this one, The Catbird Seat, Bullock leaves to campaign in Sturgis. He, Star, and Trixie plan for coming events. Swearingen joins the impromptu meeting in the hardware store. A Pinkerton agent murders Ellsworth in his tent. Harry Manning and Bullock deliver their speeches in Sturgis. Bullock meets a pair of soldiers who are ready to vote as they are ordered. Trixie knocks on her store at the Grand Central Hotel, raises her dress, and then shoots him. Ellsworth's body is brought to the camp on an open wagon. Doc Cochran removes the bullet from her shoulder. The doc confides in Swearingen that Hurst did not get a good look at the shooter. Sophia wants to see Ellsworth a final time. Swearingen requests Wu bring in his 150 chinks from Custer City as muscle against Hearst's Pinkertons. So, only one episode left. I don't know how... Um, sorry, I'm trying to put the, find a place to put the book down as I do this. So, um, there's only one left after this one. And I think that my major takeaway is... Uh, the the show is obviously aware that the season is wrapping up and they're sort of um, getting their ducks in a row and getting the energy going into the into the series. I, fi- I find this one to be a um, 
how to describe it? I find the energy of this one to be really impressive. I, I, I guess there's a thing like I can sense that the show is moving on all cylinders, but at the same time, you can start to see like the the, the wheels of the wagon are starting to wobble a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. But what, what did you think about this one? I, I find the energy of these late the last couple episodes of the season to be like brimming with energy and really unique in a lot of weird ways. Like just a minor example is like, I think this is the first time that Jack Langrish has met everyone in the camp <laughs> and had a conversation <laughs> with him. And it's weird when you notice that stuff, but it feels like an episode full of moments like that where characters are having sort of conversations that they haven't had all season that you think they might. But at the same time, there's like a, the production stress is also coming through because there are, I think there are three scenes in this episode that redundantly talk about Merrick and Al talking about whether or not Al has read the column in the paper. Mm-hmm. And so it repeats a lot of stuff too. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's clear that the show's production is like at the end of the line and they're running out of the organization of whatever organization they might've had getting to this point. But um, it results in a really weird a uh, powerful Deadwood episode that maybe is more, you know, representative of the rest of the show than I'm giving it credit for, but it, it still feels different to me for some reason. Would my conversating with her or lingering after supper have disrupted the little one's routine on a day that had been disrupted previous? Yes. Already she'd seen a series of people taking up watch to protect that schoolhouse. And how many questions must have occurred to her? Because that is a bright child. What is transpiring that we need garden from? And what memories must that have brought back of her own dear family murdered in a sudden fake Indian depredation by shitheel fucking road agents? Not solely how would I like to be passing the evening, the like? When I've left, have I given the mother more calming down to do before she gets the child to sleep? Them sort of things is what you have to consider. Yeah, it, uh, it has a very, a very weird energy. Uh, things are starting to, to, to boil in not very <clears throat> i think what's different about this than a lot of other shows that have this sort of uh build up to explosion is that i don't really there there's no one thing that is is uh like um <clears throat> what am i trying to say here uh nobody it, no one is really like on the same page about what's going on mm mm-hmm. mhm and um like it's not like uh bullock and swearingen and all those guys are really that in line with each other like al has the stuff he's doing with with woo which seth doesn't seem to know about um and uh you know uh Tolliver's acting weird now too because he's I don't know if he is realizing he backed the wrong horse here or whatever but yeah um it's just there's not like a the killing of Ellsworth doesn't it it kind of codifies everything but it it 
not in the usual kind of TV way of like this is the defining moment where we all come together. It's it's a defining moment, but it's a defining moment of chaos. Yeah, that is, um, <clears throat> I find to be very engaging because so much is uh, going on. Because obviously you've got uh, Seth is out of town because he's still running for sheriff sheriff yeah. yeah and so he doesn't really know what's going on and then you've got trixie go you know, losing it and going and actually shooting hearst which is just as um incendiary in action as as hearst killing ellsworth if not more depending on how you look at it yeah um <clears throat> and so it's 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 everything is kind of like it's not a matter of the dominoes starting to fall. It's like someone has just dumped all the dominoes onto the table. And so it's, it's very, it's, I, I, I really like this episode. Um, <clears throat> no, not, not at the least because this is one of my favorite EB episodes. I think, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the way that he rolls into the gem and says, I did it. I killed him. <laughs> I killed Hearst. And they said, you did. And he's like, well, no, I, he's dead at my hand or the next best thing, really. Like, <laughs> and he keeps he keeps dialing it back. I, it's so fantastic. He's such a fucking. Did you fan. see him? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> did Did you see Trixie? No. But like, I, I feel like that's kind of indicative of of what's going on. Like, where no, it's it feels more realistic in in a moment like that. In that nobody really seems to have a good grasp of what just happened if Hearst got shot at all, if he's dead, if he's alive, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, and, and the way, seeing the way everybody reacts to it is, is, uh, is, is pretty cool. Yeah. The, um, except the stuff. I still don't know what the fuck's going on with that guy. I'm leaving. Come in. It's too much. He's too cruel. Come in. Brazingly sends the other packing to brazingly install her replacement in the theater. How was he brazen with the one who left? No one with eyes could fail to recognize their connection. And now brazenly... Us recognizing his connection to the one who left does not mean he was brazen. Fine. Fine, then. I just came to say goodbye. Must I agree he is brazen for you to not leave the troop? He has no respect for art. Claudia. He hates me. No. I was well received in Denver. Yeah, very well received. I could have stayed. I could have let you all go on. I think you were approached by Millerick. I was. Go to sleep, Claudia. No coaches now, anyhow. He's sort of okay, but his uh, they have the scene with the, the actresses in this one mm-hmm. where they talk about... Uh, being upset about the other actress being let go, and I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with those two. The, the, so that's a the, the troop feels like a good example of it. It just feels like they 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 did not have an idea of 
where the troop was supposed to go clearly. And like there, and I think that there, that storyline is a good example of in this one of they, they don't have an end in mind that they know that they're trying to get to. It's not like it's written like the wire or anything like that. Sure. And so when you're, you're getting to scenes where it feels like they felt like they wanted to do something with them, or there was going to be some kind of explanation or they were building towards it but they just don't have the time to do it anymore. Like they, they're, they've run out of um, runway to tell the stories. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's, that's the negative of this episode. I think, even though I really like it is that it's, um, it's thematically interesting because the killing of Ellsworth, as you're saying, like results in this big chaotic feeling in town where no one is really on the same page. And it kind of feels like the, um, you know, the energy is building and no one's very predictable. It's like a powder keg that's supposed to go off and something random like Trixie shooting Hearst happens. But no one has, there's no sense of this is going to be the plot that sort of wraps things up. And I think a good example of that dialogue-wise is um, you had mentioned EB. EB, when he has the monologue where he finally wipes off the spit from his face. Mm -hmm. And And he's apparently been standing there for hours. Yeah, he's been standing there for hours. He, he, he says, uh, I'm going to fuck you up and I'm the kind of cunt that you'll let close. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the it's funny because on a modern show, I feel like EB would be very pivotal in what happens after saying that line, right? Right, like, yeah. He would do something because you, you, you kind of realize at that point like, oh, EB could, like that's a totally legitimate thing for EB to say because Hurst would allow EB to get close to him because he thinks he's, Harmless, really. Right. And it doesn't happen. So it ends up being just kind of a neat little like cool line that EB has, but he ultimately doesn't do anything from it. And I feel like that's kind of emblematic of everything, although it, the reason it's not really super negative is because it almost feels intentional at the same time that this is how chaotic the 10 would be after, you know, the, the paragon of virtue that Ellsworth is as much as anybody in the series is like Ellsworth is the good guy on the show after yeah. he's killed by Hearst. And it feels like um, it feels like the chaos is intentional, but it's also just kind of representative of what, like how the show was made at the same time. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's one of the... Ellsworth's death is one of those moments that, well, first of all, very sad. I was very upset by yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's the kind of character who is... Yeah, he, he's one of the more upstanding righteous characters uh on the show but he's the kind of character that nobody really pays it like the people who are involved with the story capital s story don't really tell don't really give ellsworth a a ton of time and so you never really get the sense in the show that he is a highly considered person Sure. Until he's killed. Like, for for instance, <clears throat> there's been so many gunfights, so many deaths, so many fights in the street that all feel like they're part of the larger thing, whether it's uh, Dan and uh, Commander Cody. What the hell's his name? Oh, Turner. Captain Phillips. Captain, Captain Turner. Turner. <clears throat> you know, that feels like the, a part of the larger thing. Um, even uh, uh, Seth and Al in season two feels like part of a larger thing. But when Ellsworth gets killed, it's the first time where everybody kind of takes a step back and goes like, 
well, that's not fair. Right. Like that's <laughs> right. that's taking it a step too far. You've you've killed someone who is who is not involved with this and does and in a fairly underhanded deserve. way too. Like assassinated him basically. Yeah. Yeah. And like the reaction from everyone seems to be the the same, which is like, no, that's 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 not cool. He wasn't. He was not part of this bullshit. Yep. I I think that they. Something else that they do that's kind of interesting. I talked about how Langrish has scenes with people, um, and it feels like he's just starting to get to know people. He he has a funny energy in this one because he's like he's he's a sort of he's semi a cartoon character stuck in the town in in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Like he has sort of lines of dialogue that are very strange, and you know he does things like he um he overly uh, displays the fact that he's not carrying a weapon when he enters places. Like he opens yes. up his jacket yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, but the, in line with what you're saying about Ellsworth, I think that the show, for all of its chaos, also occasionally, not occasionally, it always manages to, it manages to stick its larger point in really interesting ways, which is that like when, when Ellsworth is killed, as you're saying, they, they, the main characters largely don't interact with Ellsworth at this point on the show. Like they, he yeah. was in season one talking to Al occasionally. But no one really talks to Ellsworth anymore outside of Alma, and they've been separated for a little bit. But when Ellsworth dies, I think the show does a really smart thematic thing of his death results in everyone sort of collecting at the gem, right? Mm-hmm. And you have this sense that Hearst's attack on the ta- on Ellsworth is an attack on the town, and the town reacts by drawing closer at that point has that really nice scene where charlie utter is standing on the stairs and he doesn't know where to sit and then he finally sits down with dan doherty and silas and they're like you know they have this kind of lighthearted thing about like you i thought you were just going to stand there forever you know and it's like this Mm -hmm. it's this nice sort of closing out a scene of the town uniting in the face of the attack on them to that point and it's almost as if they're realizing that like Ellsworth's death is showing them the true bonds that are part of the community that Hearst doesn't share with anybody. Mm, yeah. and, and it's it's nice too. It's, I mean, the actors are settling into the roles, but it is like you get to this point in the show three seasons in and you're like, yeah, a lot of the characters haven't really realized how close they are at this point, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that scene at the gym is pretty indicative of that too. Because like, I mean, the thing that, that actually made me kind of... Uh, well, I didn't gasp at it, but it was the, it was the the one thing that I was like, oh wow, this has really these characters have really come a long way since the first episode. Was after all is said and done, when Alma actually thanks Al and puts shakes his hand yeah, for, for yeah. help helping out, and it's like there's this kind of moment where <clears throat> even like within the world of the show, I feel like Al kind of takes a moment to be like, holy sh, I mean. I don't know if you should be thanking me for anything. <laughs> right. You know, but, but at the Al same going, time, like, am I the ba- am I the good guy? It's like the opposite. Of, yeah. Are we the baddies? Yeah. But at the same time, though, it's like they have. It's they've come a long way since the death of her husband. Yes. You know, they've they've all become intertwined in a way that that goes <clears throat> a lot further than Al was, uh, Al was Hearst in the first season, right? Right. Yeah. 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 And I I think uh, to kind of jump back to what I said a minute ago, I think Al. Al looks at everybody else, all the principal players, and thinks that they've all got it coming in one way or another, right? 
Mm-hmm. I think with Ellsworth, he's the Ellsworth is the one where he's like, no, Ellsworth was a good dude. He didn't deserve that. And I think that's uh, <clears throat> that's that's the thing that uh, it's like when you're when you're when everybody's when you're when you're at a um, family party with all your cousins when you're a kid, mm-hmm. and then inevitably the youngest cousin is the one who gets the football in the face, <laughs> and you're just like, ah, yeah. Yeah, maybe we took this a bit too far. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah that's the uh, <coughs> that's the kid injury thing. The, the I have three boys who um, they always wrestle. You can't you can't stop them from fighting. Mm-hmm. You can't stop them from wrestling. But you also got to teach them how to bump. You you also you also cannot. They cannot end a wrestling session without someone getting hurt somehow. You know, and it's like, well, mm-hmm. this was inevitable, but this is this is what we expected to happen. Yeah. Terms come clear. If she'd keep her property here, she'll leave. Having first hired as many as Hearst has, and who can kill as well as his do, and ain't disadvantaged too to keep Hearst from killing her, which by the shots yesterday and Ellsworth butchered today, means her to understand Hearst will not cease endeavoring to do. But if she'd herself stay in camp, she must sell her property to him. A very pithy rendering. It's also tough to not, it's one of those episodes, like it's hard to see that the end is not in sight. The show does not realize that the end is sight. Like we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but the, the show is under the impression that they're getting a fourth season, at least after this. Mm-hmm. So... The scenes like that kind of the gem scene feels like the kind of a scene that a show knowing it was going out would have, but it's really more right. about the yeah, town the town feeling that way than it is about the actors doing that thing that shows will do, which is that like they let the actors kind of play themselves in a way in one scene, like just to to, to sort of show how close they are and have like a fun scene with everybody, which is what the right. Charlie Utter yeah. scene strikes me as. Um but I don't think that's the case here because they know that they're continuing. So it is more of like a legitimate uh, town building type activity. But I, I think that they, the, one of the things that stuck out to me in this episode was that I did feel that there were a lot of intriguing interactions that we haven't seen in a while. Like Alma and Doc Cochran talk to each other mm, alone, for yeah. instance. Um, Alma and Al have a conversation with each other. Uh, you have Wu and Al have a conversation again. The Wu big man, Wu big man. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's very funny. Um, hang die, Wu. Fucking hang die. Hang die. Wu, Custer City brings back all his chinks. The fuck back to Deadwood. Wu, back Deadwood. Brings all his chinks back, huh? Woo! Custer City! Back Deadwood! Dude, maga, I didn't go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday! Ten days, Swedgen! I am sorry, Woo. I'm sorry I made you wait. But I want you to bring them now. While you're about your journey, I'll be trying to conceive some practical use for your countryman's arrival. Besides seeming to swell our ranks. Oh, we'll give them guns, yeah? We'll provide them with guns. 
So any of the slant-eyed bastards know what one is or perish the thought know how to use one. We'll enhance our prospects. Guns. Chungwo. Wu. Custer City. Back Deadwood. 150 Chungwo Katsaka. Swedgen. Shut the fuck up, Wu. Hang Dai. Hang Dai. Hang Dai. Fucking Wu. I just feel that it. It's the same thing as the Charlie Utter scene. To me, it felt in a lot of ways like the show is trying to get its characters to all interact with each other one last time. But that's the energy of this episode for some reason, whether or not uh, or not that the show the show didn't realize it was ending. But it does. It feels like an episode where there are a lot of little vignette scenes between characters that haven't talked in a long time. And I think that's one yeah. of the things that I like about it and found it noticeable. Yeah, I was really interested by that scene with Alma and Cochran. Yeah. Um, what I was, what I was taking from that is it was basically them deciding whether or not Sophia could handle seeing Ellsworth's dead yeah. body. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a really good example of a Deadwood scene where they don't say that at all. They right. do not mention that once. They are just talking about basically how much trauma she's been a part of in her life up to this point whether or not she's they're arguing about or debating whether or not she saw her original parent her biological parents right. be killed yeah by the raiders in season one yeah and and that is not providing any closure is there the gist of their argument like her her not seeing her parents might be leaving some sort of lingering trauma that she 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 can't accept the fact that they're gone at this point because she never saw them dead and they're mm-hmm. wondering about whether or not it's healthier for her to see uh, the body of Ellsworth to show that it's over. As I heard the account, the child was found inside a hollowed out tree trunk some distance from the others. Having crawled from the carnage and hidden herself, I'd always assumed. I suppose, rather than Sophia crawling unseen from the carnage, the possibility might exist that the family hid her in the tree trunk and then fled that distance before the murderers fell upon them. For the child, to have been found, having been savaged by wolves, those hours later, by strangers, and then taken away, having never seen her family again, living or dead. And every other show would have just used what you said just now verbatim as dialogue in the in the scene. Right, yeah. Yeah. Where Cochran would where Alma would be like, I don't know. I have to think that there's some sort of lack of closure. No. <laughs> she would say yeah, she would say closure. Yes. Obviously. Yeah, whereas, whereas this one, it just they just drop you into the middle of this conversation and give you everything you need to work it out, but you're gonna have to work it out what they're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um <clears throat> are there are there any other odd pairings like uh you know, Jerry and Bullock they have share a little bit of a conversation with each other. 
Yeah. Hurst and Cochran have a conversation, which I don't think they've ever spoken to each other. So that's kind of an interesting thing when he digs the Mm. bullet out of Hurst. It's another great Hurst episode, as they're all great Hurst episodes. Um, Even in that moment, like Hurst is still still working people, right? Because he's telling Cochran, he's like, I don't know why they think that I'm involved with this. (laughs) (laughs) I like his. um, I mean, we we just both happen to work. As miners looking for uh, what is that stuff called? I you know I'm, I just can't even remember. I think it's called gold. I think it's called that's what people call it. I don't know what it's called. He has this like he's Some like me and Mister me and Mister Ellsworth have run into each other numerous occasions and we did not get along at all. But I am still shocked that people think that I would have anything to do with this. <laughs> anyway, are you going to dress the wound? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. Just the. They don't even, you know, they don't, the show, as an example of like what another show would do, after that scene, another worse show would have Cochran storming around going like, oh, I can't believe I dressed his wound. I, I've, I've like, what have I done? <laughs> I've, I've, I've helped this evil man. But it's, you know, the Cochran's whole thing is the, um, the do no harm thing about doctors, right. about how he's just supposed to help people. And he even has to help the devil of Deadwood at this point when he gets shot. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Anyone else going on in this? I'm just looking at the. Uh, the you get some uh, Langriche and EB, which is fun. What's their scene? I can't remember. Langriche, Langriche. So the other actors are waiting downstairs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then Langriche ahead. comes down complaining about the walls being thin because he heard the gunshot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that, like, I, I was very confused by it because I couldn't tell what he was trying to get at. And when EB starts like whispering about the fact that Hearst was shot, I I didn't know what the game was here. If this was something that they do all the time, like was it? it I I enjoyed the scene, but yeah. it was a kind of interaction I have never seen between those two before. They're gossiping without making it seem like they're gossiping. So he's he's yeah. trying to get information. Of, he's he's just bringing it up how like. He's kind of bringing it up in a bitching tone about like, I heard a gunshot and it sounded it was right outside my room. What happened? And EB has to say without sort of seeming like they're gossiping or happy about the fact that Hearst was shot in his room. Yeah. Did you like the um, 70 horrors scene where Hearst comes down to the hallway and it like it like pans in on him as Link Grease is trying to fumble his way into his room? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, the, even that one too, that was, I thought I missed something. For a second I thought, because that was... He hadn't been shot yet at that point, right? Right. He had Ellsworth. So, had, Ellsworth's body had come back at that point. Yeah. So f- for for a second, I thought he caught Langriche breaking in uh, into his to, room. Yeah, mm. but which doesn't make sense because he just came out of his room. But yeah, um, it, like it was such a quick little bit in the hallway that it was it was kind of I wasn't totally sure. I, I don't know if they were implying that Langriche was like eavesdropping or something. No, I think uh, it's I, I I sort of not doing right. I, I just the think way he looks at him when he comes out, it like it's such a it it feels like Langriche just got caught doing something. Yes, I think it's just it's a character because Langriche doesn't know what's happened, but it, it's a character reacting to what is basically become pure evil in the town. Like there's a mm. it, it's just a very horror movie reaction of he sort of intuitively feels he has to get away from him. Like there's something not safe about Hearst and that's why he's mm. fumbling to get into his room so quickly. But um, that's my take on it. Just that Hearst has come in from murdering Ellsworth indirectly and Langriche running into him. It makes him uh, nervous and concerned about his safety. Uh, 
I also really like that scene with the two assassin guys where, um, you know, Hearst. Uh, <laughs> Would you like of, a drink? Yeah, out of out of ceremony <laughs> and politeness, not expecting the, either one of them to accept, offers them a drink, and then he goes, "I'll have one." He, he, the way he, lo- he shoots him a look, like he's like, "You what? You yeah. fucking <laughs> you idiot!" Yeah, I'll have one, and he's like, "All right, yeah, it's it's right over there." Hey, man, don't ask if you don't want someone to say yes. I know. Yeah, just keep it to yourself. Give it yourself in his giddiness of uh, the whole situation. Yeah, it's um. Do you feel any? Do you feel a difference in the the? I I, I feel a difference in the past couple episodes. Maybe the episode before this yeah. into this one. Um, in terms of at least the plotting and stuff like that. Did you notice anything about the energy being different? Yeah, I think this one and the last one have both been really good. And um, the uh, yeah, it's it's a very uh, it's a it's a very rickety cart. Or I should say the terrain is very bumpy going into the finale. Um, yeah. I, and I don't mean that as like a negative. It's a, it's a metaphor. I don't really know what it means metaphorically, but you get what I'm talking the, about. The horse has died. Your oxen has died and the wagon is careening <laughs> into the river. There you go. We're, it's careening towards Clayton Ravine. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, I legitimately don't know what to expect from the last episode because they they keep talking so much about bringing in all these men and these reinforcements and i i can't imagine this is going to end with like it's not going to be like the end of the dark knight rises where it's like the cops <laughs> running up I came against back for you <laughs> bullock says that to first they just start every single fighting. every single cop running against every single terrorist and fist fighting <laughs> in the streets you know like modern warfare does that's i i I, I guess it's not supposed to say that doesn't happen, but it, I, I surely wish that it would happen um, in some oh, version of the, the finale. Well, how did that? How did that get make it all the way through to the final movie? <laughs> it's so stupid. I came back for you. Um, let's let's walk every single cop in Gotham City <laughs> down into the tunnels. <laughs> Come on, man! It's a very, you wrote Memento. You're better than this. Yeah, it was. Um, the wagon wheels had fallen off at that point for that series. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that I, it's been interesting because it's, it's a, what the show has not been doing for the third season is this kind of energy movement to scenes really. And it's like, it's a, it's something I've really noticed is that Deadwood as a show really doesn't rely on catalytic events for things it's like it has no there is no episode that ends with something happening that leaves you as like a cliffhanger to be like what's going to happen in the next episode you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the uh, a a different version of deadwood would have ellsworth killed at the very end of this episode or something you know yeah and it hooks you into it into the next one and deadwood has more of a penchant for characters will have a conversation about something that's totally unrelated to anything that's been going on or you know al will monologue to somebody or you just have a a scene of a character walking down the street but it's something that i've i've noticed and i find pretty unique about it is that it does it has big events but i would say you could almost count the quote-unquote big events on this show on one hand throughout all three seasons you know it's like wild bill's death yeah um the, Walcott uh, kills I, the girls. Well, I would I would probably count the um, 
the killing of Sophia's family is probably the first one. Okay, yeah, the the killing of the family because that creates Sophia's there. But it, it's, it, I mean, there's, it it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of super memorable big bang events that happen in the show. Um, sure, it, it's yeah. just kind of a it's a different feeling. It, it's a different tone that the show tries to do with things. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it goes, and I think it's in line with the show not really treating itself like a television show and treating itself more like a look at the happenings of a town and and because you know very rarely do you get uh cliffhanger events yeah in real life yeah sometimes you do or or i guess it's it's the it's the and there's nothing wrong because i feel like the wire did a good example of that but there's mm-hmm. a like a um the cleanliness of it doesn't feel befitting of a town in a lot of ways like right, you, yeah. like the breaking bad stuff works because it's very small and like very limited in scope to a couple of characters that can sure. have something happen but when you when you're dealing with something like the town of deadwood it becomes much more difficult to have one event feel like it motivates everybody in a certain direction you know well i i think what's what's <laughs> What's great about it is is you can have these events like much like real life. You can have these big events happen and not everybody knows they're happening. Sure. So like right. you could I, they don't do this. I don't not that I remember, but like you could have the death of Wild Bill and then cut to given the nature of this show, cut to EB and Richardson and Richardson being like, "What's going on out there?" and EB's like, "I don't know. I have no idea." mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I think somebody got shot. Yeah. Go back to work. You know, <laughs> you know, like it has that kind of thing about it where some of these events um, that are huge plot events, I think like, like the, the death of Alma's husband, which is a big plot event. That was a big plot event for like five people. Right. You know, yeah. like there's woo. No one brings them up. Yeah. No one, no one brings about after, after that happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think the show lends itself to that sort of, uh, that sort of thing and and i think the difference with ellsworth's death is that he he is sort of just a um he's a guy everybody likes you know it's i i the two things i wanted to talk about is i wanted to talk about Sai because i i found his stuff really fascinating yeah and um the thing that got me the most was alma alma's reaction to seeing that he had been killed and she was running down the street saying what did i do to that poor man yeah clearly feels like that he's dead because of her and and is probably feeling very guilty about the way that she treated him etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah it's uh <clears throat> that's not the kind of reaction you expect to hear from a character in a show like this you know yep. and it was a very that's a very raw way to it's a very raw response yeah, I, it ties into she was getting shot at in the previous episode, but wasn't really the target of it. Mm-hmm. And Ellsworth was always the mark that needed to be made. But they, you know, because they, they don't have a romantic relationship, really. It is right. much more of a, like, it's less her husband has been killed and more just her business partner who sort of like a really good friend who helped her out of a tough bind she was in, like gave her an out through the illegitimate child and then not knowing what to do with the my her claim on the the gold mine mm-hmm. but um i think it's i think at this point there's more there than just that i think be, i think their relationship is complicated enough yeah that um 
<clears throat> she's she's not just reacting as as though a friend of hers has died. She I think she's I think that statement she's making is is talking about everything that everything that they've gone through, everything that she has uh, put him through that has ultimately led to him being killed. Yes, and she reacts. She reacts to his death like for for someone who she's not really romantically entangled with. Yeah, she reacts to his death so much more intensely than her than her previous husbands. Yeah, I mean she was all doped up at the time, but still. Yeah. <laughs> numbs <laughs> numbs the nerves no it's it's true it's um i guess it's the like the reason that she can have the what have i done to this poor man thing i think stems from the fact that it's not a romantic relationship i guess is my point like if it, if it's a spouse that was killed i think there's a more natural like emotional response and the immediate thing wouldn't be to blame yourself for it but sure I think that the blaming of her comes from a place where they don't have that romantic bond, which is like a little bit tighter than that. It's more, she's more clear eyed about the risk and the danger that she put him into through various uh, mechanisms, be it Hearst or be it the laudanum addiction that caused him to leave the house and things like that. Right. Um, Yeah. I, (laughs) I mean, I, one of the surprising things, uh, uh, from this watch through, is I, they actually don't spend a tremendous amount of time together. They do have a lot of scenes together, but it's it's a relationship that, in my mind, was they were in every episode together, and that's certainly not yeah. the case about it. But the the other thing that's it's kind of a Deadwood Isn't, trope is that uh, for dead bodies, I feel like the show ignores people after they're killed in a, in an interesting way. Like you, you never get a close-up of Ellsworth after he's killed. His body is just seen from a distance being dragged well, through in the point-of-view shots that they do when he's like in the, the back of the wagon and people are coming up to it. You get one in uh, in Cochran's place where they're shooting hit, uh, Cochran taking the bullet out of Hearst like over Ellsworth's body. Oh, is it's Ellsworth not like, in there? Yeah, yeah, he's in the foreground oh, okay. of that shot. Okay. It's like you're not it's not like a full face camera shot, right? That's what yeah, but, that's what I mean. Yeah, but yeah, they they, they tend not to do that uh, with people who who are killed because it was the same with Bill. You know, after Bill is killed, right. you, you don't. There's they pay their respects, but there's no sort of like extended character standing over his casket scene, right? You know, but, well, you know, I, I think it's a really a really um, effective way to handle that stuff because it does. What what's the point of having a funeral? It's to give give people closure right yep. so they can you know and if you are and, and the closure comes from being able to to view the body and and make peace with whatever and so if you're doing that in the show and you are specifically not giving the the uh, viewer the closure of seeing this person for the last time it's very unsettling yeah and it yep. feels it, it's it really feels a lot more like like they've been removed from existence instead of just you know because that's the thing that always bugs me about um the shit the modern shows where they do the big death setup episode where it's like let's spend this side character we haven't heard anything from from three seasons and now we're learning all about their backstory right i wonder if they're gonna make it through to the next episode yeah yeah they never do and it all it's always plays like a big send-off for the character or for send-off for the actor and this one, it's like, no, man, you're fucking gone. It's just like real life. You're dead. You're done. You're out. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Beaver was apparently very upset by this. It was apparently a very tense... Because uh, he... 
I mean, to be fair, he, his final scene, he's talking to a dog. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's a great final scene. And there's no, he doesn't have a good, uh, like a farewell with anybody. And he shot it by himself. And he said that it was, he was very, you know, frustrated that's, by that. That's tough. Yeah. yeah. If, if it's from a production standpoint, if it's like. You don't get to hey, work Jim. with your friends anymore. Yeah. Hey, Jim, we got to shoot this last scene. Don't worry about what it's about. <laughs> Everybody's gone home. Just keep, uh, that's just keep talking. frustrating. Yeah. But um, but from like a from the actual episode or the the style of the show, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's very effective. Yeah, and his final his monologue to himself is about very. It's about helping others and the concern yeah. for he's concerned about Sophia and Alma, uh, and he's talking about others. But it it is emblematic of the community theme, right? And the way that Hearst does not represent that Hearst is entirely self interest. And it's also emblematic of how cynical the show can be because he's the one person who's ever like thought he's he's literally the only person who's ever been like, you know, maybe helping others is the right thing to do. And then he gets yeah. shot in the fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> got to help yourself first. You got to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can help yeah. others, Mr. Ellsworth. Uh, so what did you want to talk about, Cy? Are you talking about when he gets all pissed off and starts slapping the whores around and yelling at Yeah, Khan? after when he saw, when he sees that Ellsworth has been killed, yeah. he has a reaction that's really intense. And it's, again, they're, they're, he's not verbalizing what he is feeling. He's just taking it out on, on these other characters. I piss hard I, stole money away to gussy up you fucking cunts, is what he says. Yeah, and like it's... Nothing he is saying has anything to do with the fact that Ellsworth has been killed. Yeah. He's just, like like we were saying before the show started, it's just something that he's probably been fine with 99 times out of 100, and then today is the day that he decides to to yeah, bear yeah. down on it uh, to... to, um, to let off the steam but it's i was i was very surprised to see him react the way that he did to ellsworth being killed like it's i i feel like this is the moment where Cy again it's it, ellsworth is not one of the players really right he's yep. kind of outside the game and for Cy, as we've been saying for three seasons every single scene he has feels like he's trying to play an angle or scheme or try to get over on somebody and to to move along his his place in the game and this seems like the moment where he finally realizes that this is game is serious and that maybe he is should shouldn't not be fucking around stand the fuck up i piss hard stole money away to gussie you fucking concept start you bullshit fucking pretend there's a difference between fat ass snatch and fat ass snatch and a fucking petticoat. Come on, Mr. Key. Where are we going? You runny faced piece of shit. I'm just saying. Just saying what? What was you just saying? I don't know, sir. What you been? This fat twat's galant. He conned the nuts, fatso. Ain't it great to have a fucking bow? Yeah, I see it as his continuing story or his continuing arc of being impotent in terms of having any impact on things. So yeah. I view it as Sai's character trait is when he becomes um when he becomes emotional, he tends to lash out at people. 
who work for him. Like that, mm-hmm. th- that's his, um, that's his sort of his, his reaction to emotion is to become sort of difficult and hostile towards others. And mm-hmm. so I think that he's, <clears throat> so Sai is reacting to the murder of Ellsworth. And I think that that's playing on both like whatever shred of decency Sai has in him that's irritating him that that has happened. And yeah. it's also just his sort of realization that he's completely on the outs with whatever is happening at this point. And yeah. that's what his quote about like, I, I, I piss all this money away to gussy you, uh, you people up. It's his anger and resentment at the things that he thinks he's doing and no one seems to appreciate him right. for what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really great. Cause you don't, you don't expect that kind of reaction from Cy. And so to see him go like that and then to see him blow up in that specific way and, uh, him, <laughs> Showing exactly how much FOMO he has for the <laughs> the war that's about to break out. It's a great show. Have you found? We've talked about it a little bit. Have you found Sai to be a unnecessary character at this point, or do you think that this plotline of being impotent and useless is enough to carry his character for this season? I conceptually really like it, but I don't think. It, it has really uh, amounted to much other than just sort of like a character study for him, yeah. which is fine. Um, but if you're looking for a set him up, knock him down kind of story, then yeah, he's, he's kind of a, I, I don't think much would have changed if he had died when Andy Crane stabbed him. His, uh, his plot line in season four was supposed to be that, he becomes the financial backer of Andy Crame's church in Deadwood. Oh, really? And it becomes unclear whether or not he is actually pious and repentant at that point. So it's sort of the hypocrisy of religious believers was supposed to be the theme of it, mm-hmm. like the sort of unsure, un, like uncertainty of uh, how deep someone's faith can run. But that was that was the idea that they wanted to do with him. So that's interesting. It's it's like all things. There are, there are a couple of examples of upcoming stories, and I, I feel it's like everything that is a. All stories seem kind of weird to me, you know, until they're yeah. until they're on the screen. And I, I wonder if like if you had pitched this idea of Hearst uh, in the third season, would I've been like, oh, that seems like a strange idea to me. But I, I don't know where else you you go with Sai, and that does seem in line with his. Um, he had that great scene where Andy Crane came in and Sai had the gun and was like, Lord, gives me the strength to pick up this gun. <laughs> and I feel it's a, it's a continuation of that, basically. So, I mean, I'm here. For, I guess I'm here for Sai Tolliver as one of the righteous gemstones. Yes. <laughs> I'm here for Sai kicking ass for the Lord. Yes. Um, anything else about this one? <clears throat> Let's see. So Trixie shot Hurst. We covered that. Um, I thought that Paul Malcolmson had a funny thing about that. Um, and for, this is from the Deadwood Bible. Malcolmson didn't question the nudity, even though she thought it was odd. Early in her experience on Deadwood, she recalled <laughs> a crew person who'd worked with Milch had warned her, don't pet a dog when it's shitting. Said Malcolmson, quote, I didn't ask what's the purpose of me being topless because I didn't, I just didn't ask David those kinds of questions. I always wanted to go with the deepest faith, you know. He wrote the fucking scene. I don't know why the fuck she's got to take her shirt off and she's showing her twat to George Hurst, but fuck it, I'm going to do it. So I did it. 
That's it. I didn't realize she talks like Trixie in real. These characters are just rubbing off on everybody. She's Irish. She's an Irish actor. Oh, is she really? Yeah, so, okay, yeah. that explains yeah. that. Then. So she's actually on her best behavior in that paragraph. <laughs> um, and we'll have more to. Yeah, we'll have more. Uh, obviously, we can wrap up all the characters in the next episode. But yeah, Trixie shoots the. Um, the only other item, I guess, in this one is the uh, the political aspect, right? Bullock mm-hmm. is running for uh, office, and he's run up against the votes that have been brought in against him, and he leaves to come back home. Uh, we, we're spe- we're recording this on election day, actually. Today, we sure are. Yeah, so we I, I voted earlier today. I got finished stuffing my local ballot box earlier today. Yep. And w- did you have any Union soldiers at your? Uh, your ballot hall? Uh, no, but it did smell like bacon because there it was at the um, the armory, and there's a little cafe next to it that yep. does nice egg <laughs> sandwiches. So that was nice. Well, what's funny is um, you must have the same you must have the same as me. We're both in Massachusetts, so I assume we have the same thing. Um, yeah, like it, it brings up the uh, like Amy was wondering. She's like. Well, how do how do the elections work in this Deadwood situation? Like, how do people just come in and vote for things? Right, and it's. A good I was qu- very confused to see that he had to just he had to go to a whole different town. Yes, he had to go to like the the, the county chair or whatever. Yeah, Sturgis. <laughs> I, so I don't know how their elections actually actually work, but um, I guess not much has really changed because, like you know, politics aside, you don't have to provide any ID to vote, which I think is strange, you know, <laughs> you just go in and you tell them your, your name yeah. and they check you off. And it's just, it seems very strange to me. Yeah. I know it is. It's a very, um, complex argument that comes up when it comes to that stuff, but it does, it does feel kind of weird that you just give them your name and your address and they go, here you go. I mean, just to, just to prove I'm that person. Yeah, would who seem you reasonable. say you are? Yeah, you know, no. uh, like yeah. just so you don't double up votes or not double up, but like you, if there's a mistake and you know they accidentally check me off by some random guy before, when I right. go in, are they going to be like you already voted? You know, there's no, there's no proof, which is it's just odd. I don't know. The whole thing is very. Um, just a, it's like a, a 90 year old ha- woman with a huge binder of paper in front of her yeah. and she flicks yeah. through. Yeah, it's very strange. They're just, you know what? I think they're just happy that anybody shows up. Yeah, I think so. It's there was no waits in my line today, and I think ours is just the Worcester. I didn't vote for anything statewide. It was just Worcester stuff, and it's like, yeah, I, I think Worcester gets like seven percent turnout or something like that. So it's Yeesh. not not particularly good. What's your purpose here? What do you mean? There's no Sue around here. Shall I go find some? Ask them to join us. I'm saying there's no fort and there's no Sioux. Why would they have you bivouacked? It seems like you got me confused for a general. <clears throat> Don't be grazing by the windows. Come in and listen or stay the fuck out of sight. I guess you got yourself mistaken for a general. Who wants to know what we're here for? We're here for the election. Maybe gonna exercise a franchise. <clears throat> to speak now, Sheriff. Have they told you yet who you're voting for? Not yet. Sheriff, shut up, Harry. 
but I guess it puts you in the Deadwood thing where 200 votes will probably win you an election. It's not like a national thing. Yeah. You just need a couple votes and you're you're on your way. Yeah. Um, the, oh, um, there's also the stuff with Jane where she uh, chickens out from going to see what's going on by saying she's going to stay and protect the kids. Yeah, she protects the kids. Yeah. yeah she knows that she's... She's done pretending, right? Yeah. I guess at this point, that's her. She now realizes where she needs to be. Uh, the children, the children in the school. Uh, anything else about this one? I don't. Uh, Hearst has the fantastic. You, you're also getting a sense of um, Hearst continues just obviously to be very interesting to me, and he has another Grinch looking down on the town uh, scene in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the line, "The hell does he say?" Let me see if I can actually get the whole thing. Uh, the cap, the, he, when he's looking out the window, he says, the camp is galvanized. I oughtn't to work in these places. I was not born to crush my own kind. Um, I like that line. Uh, yeah. To me, it's Hurst realizing that as maybe as much glee he gets out of things and how much personal satisfaction he's getting out of this stuff now, he, he would really just be, as he says, out crushing rock than people in the political sense. I, I take that quote to mean that he realizes that he's not best suited for like the political and the sort of like um, Machiavellian stuff that he has to do in town. Yeah, it just makes him frustrated. Yeah, it makes him frustrated, right? So he'd, he'd rather just be out digging for gold is honestly what he would rather be doing. It's the, it's the, it's the same thing that I run into anytime I have to manage a project or when, when it's, I have to delegate, delegate tasks where... After five, after four things that I I give to people, and I expect them to do. They don't do it. I just go, why? Why am I not just doing this myself? Why? Yeah. Why? Why am I even bothering with this? That was that was always my weakness in school. I hated group projects. Um, yeah, I did it all myself. <laughs> just me, which is uh, which is a tough. I mean, there's no there's no good outcome to that, right? If you're if you're like the leader position and no one does it, it doesn't come people. No one's going to sympathize with you and be like, well, I understand, you know, right. <laughs> I understand that no one else did their job. So you might as well just do it, do it all and get it out of the way. And you'll find things I, like uh, <laughs> I was told by a friend of mine in high school, <clears throat> a friend of mine from high school years later that I was always, um, very frustrating to the other, uh, class members, <laughs> team members, yeah. Team members who were the heads of the teams, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I would, I don't even remember doing this, but it sounds on brand. Mm. I I would wait till the last minute to do stuff, which would be very stressful for everyone else. But then it would end up being really good when I did it. So. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, it was so frustrating because I spent a week doing this, and then you did it the night before, and we still got an A on it. I'm like, hey, you're welcome. That's efficiency right there. Yeah, no. <laughs> and it's also it's also how you set up lifelong bad habits as far as completing tasks for yes. my, tasks for, uh, on my end. Yeah, deadlines deadlines are made to be broken, just like rules. No, what I I was always I was always a do things early type. Oh God, yeah, never. You got to get never. it out of the way. Nope. It's the only way I, you can maintain zero you know, inbox. When I got to college, when I got to art school, I the the reason that I well, at least the rat, the rat, the reason, the way I rationalized not doing things ahead of time was that when you're doing like a painting, I feel like if I've got two weeks to do it and I, and I 
quote unquote finish it after three days or whatever, I'm going to spend the next uh, 11 days stressing over it and probably ruining it or going right. back going. into it and just working it yeah. over and working it over in a way that it probably doesn't need to be done. Right. Um, <clears throat> now I'm sure there is a more productive way to do that. Mm-hmm. But to me at the time it was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do it the way that I feel like I should do it because I know that if I had more time, all I would do is just obsess over it to a yeah. point that it's not beneficial. A movie is never finished. It's just abandoned. Is your, uh, your yeah, mentality yeah. towards it? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I mean, what's because I, I I have no the the uh, art aspect is nothing, but like I do remember, um, writing papers at the last minute, and that's kind of funny how we were close to the last generation where that's going to be a problem is just the churning of words onto the page. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, cause now chat GPT exists. You can just, you could create a draft and then edit it at this point. But right. Yeah. A, a lot of the work for us was just, you had to manually type out 10 pages. You know, it was just the work right, of yeah. doing it was, was the whole thing. And it's not like you were uh, crafting Shakespeare or Deadwood dialogue or anything. You were just like, George Washington was born in 1652 or whatever, and it's like just typing mm-hmm. the, the paper out to make it fill up. But kids aren't going to have to deal with that anymore. It's all there for them. They'll be on tick. No more time to TikTok, I suppose. Uh, they're not. They're not going to be writing papers about world events. They're going to be doing TikToks where they're just pointing to chunks <laughs> of text that pop up too quickly for any human to read. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yep. It was so quick. Some, I, the reason it's got a billion views is because it was so quick. I didn't realize it was over. I just watched it five times. And they've got some line from SpongeBob or something that's been ratcheted up three yep. octaves, so it's faster and high, more high pitched. <laughs> and which is funny to, I'm sure, someone, but never got into it. And that's how they, that's how they get across what they know about the Civil War. <laughs> are you, um, are you glad? that we had a discussion about Hawkeye six episodes ago when you were saying, who is Hawkeye? <laughs> has, has this plot line been illuminated <laughs> for you now? <laughs> uh, I completely forgot about that. Uh, it's good yeah. you brought it up, though, because otherwise you you might be at this point going like, what the fuck is going on That's with this true. gun story? I, honestly, I probably would have. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would this episode have been asking like why is Al so pissed off about Hawkeye and who is Hawkeye? Who is Hawkeye and why is he mad at Silas? Yeah. I mean, it, to be fair, okay. another I don't plot think we've where seen... Al gets I was just say another plot where Al gets mad about a letter he sent to some <laughs> other town. I don't think we've seen Hawkeye this season either. Like to be fair, it's not he's not a character that's been around. Oh, maybe we have. He was in one bar scene, I think is the last time we saw him. He was in the number 10, but um, if you are, you know, if you're, if you just didn't, you don't remember him, it's, it is kind of a, a strange, uh, plot line to be dropping Hawkeye's name into that all these guns are riding on Hawkeye, uh, showing up on time, but we'll see. I mean, if it had been Hawkeye, the Marvel comics character, yeah, then I would be disappointed that the <laughs> Deadwood doesn't end <laughs> with a comics, with a- comics accurate 1980s costume Hawkeye 
it's uh, George Hurst. With his bow and arrow. George Hurst catches the arrow in front of him, and then it explodes into like a, a smoke bomb or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's the way it always happens. Yep. Um, you know, saying I like you hefty don't mean you couldn't stand losing a couple of fucking pounds. <laughs> hey, I say it every time I look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> saying I like you hefty. All right, I guess that's it. Did you that wafting that wafting conversation was a plus? Didn't I tell you how well it wafted? <laughs> Couldn't just let him read his fucking paper. Um. Oh, I mean that's another like I was complaining about churning out the uh, the ten page papers the night before. Mm-hmm. Imagine being Merrick and you have to do that fucking type print, that tiny oh, type God. print every day. Oh my God. Oh go insane with it and that's like a first draft right <laughs> like he was saying like can you look at this so i know what i have to change why yeah. don't you why don't you write it out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do your first draft with a pencil and then then set the type yeah yeah you just can't can't read it backwards unfortunately but yeah what a what a tedious unbelievably tedious thing that was to do it's some it is amazing to me that books longer than five pages ever got printed when that when that printing press was created yeah it's crazy it's just it's just because it's like they're printing they're printing bibles that's like the first thing they're printing and those things are like 700 pages yeah it's just that weird relativity thing right like it it beats having to write it a hundred times you know it's true it's just like but now it seems so tedious i have the same thing about um it's uh, we probably talked about this for like i I am so removed from old technology that I feel like it's more understandable to me how a computer reads an MP3 file of zeros and ones and makes sound out of it than mm-hmm. it is to have a needle dragged along a, a like a, a metal valley and it somehow makes oh, the yeah. song. You know what I mean? No, I, I have no idea how that works. It's crazy. I yeah and. <laughs> And anytime you see one of those like electromagnetic close-ups of like this is what an, a record looks like when it plays, I'm like this makes it even more like magic because <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on here. <laughs> it's crazy. That's just it's just that's how technology is, I guess. And the, the printing press is probably the same. Fuck must you harbor, fucking Merrick? I admit to wondering, Al, if you have any further impression of my article. Didn't I tell you how well it wafted? If on second reading, Merrick, it's a good article. Huh? It'll no doubt irritate him fucking Hurst. But I'm wakeful wondering who he's likely to shoot at next. So with regard to that, I've gave your article all the thought I need to. Who do you think he might shoot at? I have no fucking idea, Merrick. I doubt it'll be long before we find out. And in the fucking interval until we do, I guess I'll just have to abandon any prospect of finding respite and... Any part of your rag I could just fucking read without having to evaluate how it fucking wafts. Oh, which leaves me the solace of contemplating the journey and hither of the intrepid fucking Hawkeye and his 23 fucking reprobates to even the odds in the coming combat. Didn't tell you that, did I, Adams? Hawkeye's wired to announce he's on his way. Does that sound likely to you? Or does it confirm our deepest doubts about his incompetence and veracity? And mine in turn about you that I allowed to fucking vouch for him. Couldn't let him read his fucking paper. Although with the printing press, I guess there, there is the idea. You spend like, say you spend a, a day yeah. setting up a page. Yeah. Once you set it up, 
you're good to go. You could run off 700 of those. No, things. right. Yeah. You, you don't print the pages one at a time. You print yeah. a thousand page ones and then you print a thousand page twos. But still, it is, it is like having a job where every day you have to do a completed jigsaw puzzle. Yes. Yeah. It is. And just like, what were they? They must have been using like tweezers and like, like yeah, dropping those tiny things. Fucking, <laughs> I they, imagine I would have lost half my letters. Yeah. It's like on Legos. day one. Yeah. It's, you're stepping on them like Legos and be like, fucking letter E. God damn it. Uh, the man I once was, Al, was not formidable, and I am but a shadow now, and yet I'd be put to use. A decoy, perhaps. A weight to drop on villains from above, is what Jack Langridge says. <laughs> I guess we're done. Anything else you want to say about this one, or is this it for the second to last episode of Deadwood, the Catbird Seat? No, I think it was good. I, I really like this. Uh, this season's been really good. Um I think it's been more. Uh, it's been a bit more consistent than season two. I think, as far as kind of, they've really they've really gotten that mix of plot and hangout down really well. I think. Yeah. Um, that it's been. I haven't. I, I can't really think of an episode that was like kind of a chore to get through or anything. Yeah, I find the um, I find the energy of this one to be a little bit like jauntier than season two. I don't know a better way to describe it. Season two strikes me in my memory. It, it always seems like a very dark season. Um, it's pretty dark. <laughs> it is, but it's, it's it's not that the show wasn't funny back then, but here I feel like there's like a real like, there's a real like energy to a lot of the character interactions in a way that there yeah. wasn't in season two. I still like season two and I, I like walk on stuff like that, but the, this is a, um, a very enjoyable season to get through in my opinion. Yeah. That's it. Thanks, everybody. This is Something Pretty, the Deadwood Podcast. You can support the show at patreon.com slash thepenskyfile. We'll probably have a couple westerns up there. We certainly have Tombstone, which is already done. But as we uh, wait, we'll take a, to repeat myself again, we'll take a break after the season ends. So after next episode, we will not do the Deadwood movie right away. We'll do a couple of podcasts in between there. We'll probably cover the first episode of John from Cincinnati. We'll cover the Hitman movie with Timothy Oliphant, and we'll cover Luck, I think, which is the Michael Mann and David Milch project, uh, just the first episode of that one. And then we'll do the Deadwood movie at some point after a Western that we decide as well. So that's what's coming up. You can get other stuff at patreon.com slash the Penske file. That's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Clay, did you have anything you want to say before we go? We did Unforgiven, right? We did, yes. So we have two Westerns up there that you guys could check what? out. Why did we do Unforgiven? Was it just voted just on? Just got voted on, yeah. We didn't do a real ripe, real rotten on Eastwood, right? No, it was a, I think it was just vote for one of these Westerns that we cover in Unforgiven uh, 1. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good movie. Um, Unforgiven 1, which leads into Unforgiven 2 and Unforgiven 3. That's right. Because you're Unforgiven 2. Uh, yeah, we're coming up on the end of our Video Nasties run on uh, Rotten Horror Picture Show on Patreon. We've got two movies left. We've got Lucio Fulci's Zombie coming in December, and in November we've got Evil Speak, which is a movie where uh, Clint Howard summons the devil through a 1980s computer while he is at military school. Mm -hmm. So uh, the movie, you're, no, the movie the British censors didn't want anyone to see. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you're wrapping up that, and we're wrapping up Deadwood before 2024 starts. So it's been it's been uh, the year of video nasties and Deadwood. This is 2023. Yeah. That's how we'll remember it. That's it. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back with the final episode of Deadwood, the series. It's the episode called Tell Him Something Pretty, which is the series finale. Tell him something pretty. We'll see how all, <laughs> all the stories wrap up and everything. Do you do you know anything about the movie, the Deadwood movie? I know nothing about the movie. Okay. so you, It you, could take place in Chicago for all I know. Okay. So you, I ask, you don't know anything about characters in the movie or nope. anything like that? Yeah. Just nope, power. Nothing. I think you know that Powers Booth can't be in it because he was dead, but I think that's about the I extent. actually didn't know that. Okay. I, I wasn't sure when if he had died before or after they shot it. Yeah, he, he did. So he, he died a couple of years before Deadwood was shot. That's too bad. Uh, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. But thankfully, they've got his brother to stand in, and they've CGI created his corpse to walk around <laughs> it's like tupac from on the on the holographic stage yeah, yeah. no they don't do that uh, did you see that thing uh, the the thing that was coming out of the, the the actor's strike is that the thing that the studios asked for is they wanted the right to use the uh likenesses yeah of dead actors for no money yeah without and, paying them for yeah for i didn't i don't think that was a thing before computer generated stuff i don't know why that would be a thing now like i imagine if you wanted to use footage or the likeness of someone who was dead in a movie you you probably need to clear clear it oh yeah well i assume the argument there is that it already has to exist so someone owns it and you have to pay them but if you create it whole cloth you've created the new content that is yours you know and nobody can own a face, I guess. Not even the person who has no, that face especially if you're face. not like an NCAA player or anything like that, right? Because that's always the thing about the NCAA games, right? Or it used to be, which is that the, yeah, they get paid now. Yeah, they get paid now, but they they used to the college used to own the names of the players, basically. So you couldn't use the kids' names in college football games and stuff like that. I think that was the case. I I thought that you could, but they just. They never Didn't paid them. Get paid for it, yeah. Maybe that's the know. case. But uh, that that would that would make sense. So it's like that the you can skirt doing it because the college owns the team or something like that. That that would kind of make sense. So you could actually mm-hmm. use their real names, but not have to pay them for it. So it's not like the good old days of original Nintendo when you had like major fat league hockey base- guy, yeah, skinny major skinny league baseball guy. with like the Seattle the the <laughs> Seattle supper clubs. <laughs> And the, the, it was the Texas tall hats. Ma- Mario was always the pitcher, which was just a nice little <laughs> nod to it. But. Or like, was it like the you'd get the one, the one game like Ken Griffey Jr.'s baseball? Yes, that would be just Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> and then a bunch of made up character <laughs> names and teams. Listen, when Ken Griffey was in his prime, everyone else might have been made up and uh, that's true. fictional that's characters. True. Mike Tyson's Punch Out featuring all of the great heavyweight King boxers of the era, yeah. like King Hippo, Glass <laughs> Joe. Um, what was the spaghetti guy? Wasn't there? It was like there was uh, Don Flamenco. No. <laughs> I, I, I love all the uh, the weird Ball ethnic Bowl. stereotyping. Hold on here. Let me yeah. say Super Punch. Macho Man. Always liked him. Punch out characters. There, Soda Popinski. That's Soda the- Popinski. Yes. <laughs> 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 that's, a, that's the best one. Soda Papinski. And Piston Honda was the Pist- Japanese Oh, that's guy. my favorite name. Piston Honda. <laughs> Fantastic name. Anyone there was a, I don't remember the, the... There's an Indian guy 
There is Rick remember. Bruiser. I don't know that Great one. Tiger. I think that was Great Tiger. Yeah, Great sure Tiger. He looks like um, Dalzim from Street Fighter, so that must be him. Does he have a Does he have a turban on? Uh, he's got tiger pants on. What does his head look like? He does. He has a turban on. Yep. Yeah, that's him. Yep. Piston Honda. Great fucking name. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time with our final episode of Deadwood the Series. Tell him something pretty. See ya. I suppose there's some connection between his condition and yours. That bare-breasted woman who shot me seemed to think they ought to be. <laughs> ah, shit! <clears throat> Go ahead, knowing I'd appreciate less enthusiasm. <sighs> Through the years, that fellow's path and mine crossed several times. I never meant him a moment's harm. But natural operation of my holdings and his bad luck brought me to figure in his imagination as some sort of bogey. <clears throat> I expect my attacker was a bawd connected somehow to the man in back before he married so luckily. Uh, likely she fell victim as he did to imagining me responsible for the change in her situation. God damn it. Often, because our interests are extensive, people like me are believed the authors of events which may benefit our holdings when our connection, in fact, is incidental. God damn it! I have some calls to make. Will you gunman let me pass? Of course. Don't you want to dress the wound?